Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's insight assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Michael Kist. Are you caught me not listening again? Benjamin Solak. You never listen! It's the Kist and Solak Show. Presented by SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. You are flying high on the Kist and Solak Show. This is up. What are you doing, Ben? You already messed I'm up. Preparing, I'm preparing for my hello. <laughs> continue, please. Continue. <laughs> Brought to you by the five folks at SB Nation. And no, 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 you skipped a bit, you skipped a bit. What I, what this is I episode. Oh, this episode, is ep- This is episode 111. Brought Hello. To you by- <laughs> That's not the spot. Brought to you by the five folk at SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. I am your host, Michael Kist. Follow me on Twitter at Michael Kist, NFL, that's K-I-S-T. As always, as you can already hear, joined by the self-proclaimed best doggone co-host in the game. No, enough <laughs> self-proclaimed. Mr. Nine Years. You've been the one saying this since we started doing the show. You requested it specifically, and it's in your contract, so I have to say it. But the best doggone co-host in the game, Mr. Nine Year Streak, without a bad day. He is Benjamin Solak. Follow him on Twitter. This is where you normally do the hello. Follow him on Twitter at Benjamin Solak. That's S-O-L-A-K. Hello. Ben, how you doing, brother? Now it's just going to be whenever I dang well please. That's the situation <laughs> That's now. Working. Mike, every day is a good day to be alive. I don't know if you know this, but today is, is Wednesday. Yes. Following Wednesday is Thursday. And then historically, over time, trend-wise, Friday comes after that. And typically Friday is my Friday. Yes. Following Friday is Saturday. And Saturday, Michael, has college football games that count for points and scores and records and things. And honestly, I, I always remember this at this time of year. It's fascinating that the paid elite professionals of the National Football League get four preseason games to warm up. And then the unpaid, apparently amateur, you know, we can discuss that 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 titling. Get like one spring game? Yeah, unpaid amateur, right. They get a spring game against each other. It's, a, it's, a, it's just a, pra- a scrimmage practice that's televised. And no preseason. Yeah. So not only are we in for college football, which is inherently more chaotic than NFL football and subsequently has some really fun games, it's sloppy season, brother. Yeah. We ain't sharp yet. So, um, yeah, BYU, uh, Utah, big rivalry game. Florida, Miami on a neutral field, big interstate game. And then Arizona, Hawaii, which means the uh, the dawn of Cole McDonald for the 2019 season. QB1, the only QB, Cole McDonald. The only quarterback the, that plays football? The only quarterback. In my he's probably going to get drafted highly then. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, college football is upcoming this weekend. And boy, oh boy, I am a happy camper. So let, let's plug some of your other work before we get into this Eagles stuff. You work for the draftnetwork.com. People can follow your work there. What are you assigned with this year? Weren't you, you were Pac-12 last year, if I'm not mistaken. Is it the same for this year? Or is there a switch up? Well, I was Pac-12 last year. This year we're not assigned necessarily by conference because the thing about being assigned by conference is that when you go to you know create 
big boards. They tend to be full of players from your conference. Yeah. All of us had boards that were very much skewed towards the conferences that we spent a lot of time on. So this year, it's, it, it's ad hoc. I'm in Big Ten territory, and so I've got a, a fair number of Big Ten games. I'm hoping, fingers crossed, uh, to be in Dallas for Red River Rivalry this year, which would be a lot of fun, Oklahoma, Texas. Um, so I'm not specifically on a conference or on a particular game stretch, but you know, if you uh, if you're heading to some Michigan games this year, Michigan State, Purdue, I'll be around. Are you are you headed into the any of the games in the next couple of weeks? You're going to be in the press box there. Yeah, the hope is Purdue welcomes TCU, I believe, in week three, mm. and that's the first major game that's on my schedule. Oh, nice. Uh, and that is yeah, that's the 14th, so that's week two. And I mean, very simply, it's infrequent for the Horned Frogs to come play a game, you know, in the Midwest, the North, True. near Canada. So, yeah, I'm heading to that one as well. TCU's got some talent. May have college football picks up. Draft season picks up. Obviously, regular season's picking up. And we are still, of course, in the preseason. Looking down week three, the only preseason week that might actually potentially matter uh, because you might actually see the starters for more than two seconds. Yeah. So... It's football season. This Thursday, the Eagles have a game against the Baltimore Ravens. You may have heard of them as we transition to some NFL talk. But yeah, like you said, you're going to see a little bit more of the starters this week. You would assume so anyway. I don't think you're going to see any of Carson Wentz. You may see some Josh McCown in his first action. So as we kind of preview this and we're going to kind of bounce around different topics here, there's really no set main topic for the show. But I did want to get your opinion on this because I've given my opinion on the Josh McCown signing. BLG has given his opinion. Uh, Mark Schofield, who I just recorded with, that'll be dropping on Wednesday. We're recording on Wednesday. This is going to drop Thursday morning. But we'll get your opinion as well to see if there is anything different from how you feel. Because I, for one, really like the signing. And I think he's going to be a great mentor for Wentz. Um, he's extremely knowledgeable. We, we've often talked about who can they bring in that's going to learn this offense. McCown's going to have no problem with that. In his first practice, he was changing plays at the line. So obviously, this is a smart guy that has worked in similar systems than, than the Eagles. So someone that can step in and be the number two quarterback who apparently they were going after and trying to convince to come out of retirement before Nate Sudfeld even went down. So it's a bad day sure. to be alive if you thought Nate Sudfeld was elite. Ben, what do you think about this signing? Well, I think that, you know, your alternatives were Matt Castle, Brock Osweiler, Brandon Whedon, Mark Sanchez, who is also retired, Landry Jones, who's, you know, in the XFL. I mean, this he while he was not like, you know, McCann wasn't written down as a free agent anywhere because he wasn't. In terms of like free agent less, his name was floated as like maybe you can pull him back out of retirement. But he's clearly better than all the options that were on the market. Yeah. Is he better than Alex Magoo? Probably not. <laughs> and they still should. <laughs> Magoo is that uh, that fourth string quarterback for the Jet uh, for the Jaguars out of Florida International. Who was he was just fun to watch that week two preseason game. Yo, speaking of a guy like that, have you seen Delvin Hodges of the Pittsburgh Steelers? Is it Delvin or Devlin? Devlin or Delvin? I don't. The Sanford kid. I think it's Devlin. But yeah, no, I watched him coming out. Uh, because he was out in last year's class. Dude's got a whip. And when you got a whip, you'll be able to hang around for a little bit and he can move too. So no, he's an interesting guy. The, the, The Steelers have it right in terms of figuring out life after Big Ben. Now they got to be able to sneak, they got to be able to sneak Hodges onto the practice squad if they want to keep both Dobbs and Rudolph. Right. But, you know, if you want, keep Hodges as, as quarterback three, keep Rudolph as quarterback two. Or keep Dobbs quarterback too. Heck, if you want to, you can probably move one of those those guys for a, a later round draft pick. Yeah. Now Dobbs was a fifth round pick. Rudolph was a third. Probably you want to move Dobbs. Right. Um. But they've got they've got a lot of guys who have looked like something in terms of young quarterback talent. Regardless, <laughs> McCown is is better than all the alternatives in terms of who is on the market. McCown is a guy who, as 
recently as like, you know, four or five years ago was like, you know, competing for starting jobs and camp. He's absolutely, Nick Foles, you know, starts for, for the end of the regular season and the postseason. McCown probably isn't that guy. But in terms of like, if you need two, three games, four games, just survive, don't go 0-4, don't go 0-3, keep, you know, the playoff pace alive, go 1-2, go 2-2, whatever. McCown's a great dude for that. You know what I mean? Yeah. He's going to be able to keep the offense on schedule. And that's all you, you want out of your backup is let's just like, you know, boil this back down to what we do really well and just keep things there, put up a decent number of points, don't make big mistakes. McCown's not going to be, you know, an idiot extending plays, making critical errors late in games, nothing like that. And then we'll win the game through our other players. So McCown's ideal for that reason. Absolutely, like, you know, no team better knows the value of a, of a backup quarterback than the Eagles. And the fact that they were chasing after McCown makes a lot of sense, even before Studfeld, who, you know, this podcast enjoys Studfeld as much as the next guy. But in terms of valuing Studfeld for what he is, we're lower than the consensus is. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. And can you imagine if McCown has to step in for, for a game or two, let's say it's a minor injury to Wentz that keeps him out, and McCown steps in and he's got that connection with Alshon Jeffrey, which they showed back in like 2013. And yeah. the guy does what he did against, I think it was, I think it was the Dallas Cowboys. He threw for 346 yards, four touchdowns, no interceptions, just throwing it up to Alshon the previous week. He did the same thing against the Vikings too. Like that, I feel like McCown would come in and just go YOLO to Alshon and Alshon would have like a massive day. And the fallout from that, from the media would be so annoying but it would be so fun to see that from McCown and Alshon. I'm I'm excited. I th- I think McCown's going to be a great dude. And not only that, the value of having a guy like McCown because I, from what we hear, the Eagles want to have him as the number two. And I was just telling this to Mark Schofield. The value of having a guy like McCown, a veteran like McCown, to have on the sideline for Wentz to check things, you know, on the on the on the screen and and say this is what I saw. This is I've seen this before, way back in you know 1960. Like that's valuable to me to be able to relay that information and that experience to Wentz live on the sidelines. I don't think that can be understated. In terms of Wentz potentially missing a couple games and count coming in and being good. I don't think anybody's going to mistake McCown for Foles. As a matter of fact, I think if McCown comes in and is effective, we now have better data to support the claim, which is made by me and by others, that Foles was a product of insanely good offensive coaching and offensive design. Peterson, obviously Reich and Filippo when they were successful to the Super Bowl. And then you can even give credit to Mike Rowe and Press Taylor along with Doug Peterson again for the success they had at the end of the season. I mean, and... and He's 40 years old, so that, yeah. there's a difference there too. How old is McCown? I thought he was like 38. I think the last he time legit he 40? I think he was 38 when he had his last significant playing time, but he's been in the league for 18 years, brother. He's... He's up there in age, and I'm Googling that's just awesome. to verify that you are wrong. You are wrong. He is 40 years old. Yeah. 40. That's great. <laughs> I mean, that's got to, like, I just, I got so much respect and love for that. Imagine yeah. being 40 and, like, like yeah, I, I choose to be, you know, battered around one more year by defensive ends. And, you know, like, you know, body. you could have just sat behind a desk with a tie on. Right. Man, I mean, like, you know, uh, I, I got respect for that. McCown's likable dude. What we need to talk about more is the fact that he looks like Nick Foles, but, like, with, like, the sharpen filter put on 1000 right this has not been discussed nearly enough and i'm here to bring it to the table he's got a he and Foles have the same haircut and they've got like a similar sort of like like skin tone and hair color and whatnot everything like that but Foles is just like a little rounder and mccown is like like it looks like it's like like before and after photo of like the terminator process like some sort of like genetic engineering improvement sort of experiment it's crazy i every time every time i see a photo of mccown i'm always just like Whoa! Wait, I was very surprised that this is a person who looks like this. Also, big love for the fact that there was like an uh, McCown's 
daughter had like an NFL jersey day at her high school and she and all of her friends wore McCown jerseys yeah. right of the different teams and she didn't even have like enough friends because he's got eight or nine different teams something like that the Eagles now need to find a new friend I want to see all 10 jerseys or whatever the heck it is I think that's so fun so I want to continue talking about quarterbacks here uh, yeah and McCown and his his jaw is sharp I think is the word for it so he's like sharp cheddar dude Foles he's a like polygon man that dude that his face is a hexagon so let's talk about more quarterbacks this quarterback room in Philadelphia is looking pretty good and as you wrote for bleedinggreennation.com in an excellent article with the thirstiest title of just how good can this Eagles offense be you're writing about you know the the offense overall and you were kind of citing like people around you know who cover the Eagles and then outside of the Eagles as well and we talk about this a lot too but Jimmy Kemsky from Philly Boys he thinks the offense is stacked ESPN's Mina Kimes she, uh, struck by the depth Yahoo's Charles Robinson thinks is a top three group PFF have rated the offensive line and receiving cores as the tops in the NFL. And then you also have Doug Peterson. And he thinks, like you said, that the offensive skill positions have never been better in his time here. And Peterson is pretty straightforward with this stuff. Like that, that's not always coach speak with him because you remember coming into 2017, he said it was the most like talented team that he had coached. And turns out that team was pretty good went out, win a Super Bowl. So we don't take those words lightly from Peterson, but looking and dialing into Carson and why we think this offense can be better and Wentz can be better. Sack evasion is something that I have brought up before with Wentz as his sack rate rose from about 6% from year to year when under pressure from 2017 to 2018. You also noted something with his time to sack, which I thought was really interesting. Two sacks yeah, this is cool. within the first two and a half seconds of his dropback. So two sacks within the first two and a half seconds of his dropbacks in 2017. That quadrupled in 2018. He took eight sacks within the first two and a half seconds in 2018. Now, Wentz is mainly a stationary passer. He's not he's not a run on the move and throw type of guy, despite like some of the stereotypes thrown out around him, but still Having that mobility inside of the pocket to escape pressure was something that he wasn't as sharp at in 2018 as he was in 2017, and it limited the offense some, and he took some more shots than than maybe he would have taken if he didn't have the brace on or if he wasn't just coming back from an ACL. So what did, what did you see in that respect then? Because a lot of times sacks are a QB stat. It's not always the case, but like we've talked about guys like Dak Prescott where their movements in the pocket when they perceive pressure invites more pressure and invites sacks. Wentz, on the other right. hand, moves pretty well in the pocket, but didn't have that dynamic movement ability to escape pressure in certain situations where maybe a year before he would have. So do you see that as a big key for the offense going into 2019? Yeah, so let's 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 whip it all the way back to 2016 or 2015, right? Carson yeah. Wentz is a senior at North Dakota State. Kind of, you know, it's all right. Like, you know, the scouting report on Wentz coming out. He's got a rocket and he can move and he, you know, can read the defense and he can attack, you know, he can, you know, rip up zone coverage and he can make, you know, pl placement throws against man coverage and everything like that. And you go to, okay, what are the negatives here? And he goes, all right, mechanics, you know, this guy's a little bit, you know, scattershot and he's all over the place and he overstrides a little bit. And one of the other things coming out, which was a complaint, at least for me, and I know for others was dude's big Ben in the pocket in the bad way, in the sense that like he, he could be statuesque. He's obviously huge, you know, this kid's 6'4", 220 plus, but that size 
uh, it lends him to believe he can just hang in and take blows in the pocket when you'd like to see him make, and we've talked about this before, it's a critical distinction. Regular Kiss and Solak listeners should know what we're talking about and should also, you know, be like, hurrah, yes. <laughs> the distinction between small adjustments in the pocket and escaping the pocket. There's a difference between, oh no, there's pressure, let me get TF out of here, mm. versus, oh no, there's pressure, let me step a little bit forward, step a little bit to the right, hitch, move up, make life easier on my offensive tackle to just wash this pressure away, away from me, you know, a slight adjustment while also staying in a ready-to-throw position. So there's pocket escapability and then there's pocket management, and they're not the exact same thing. Wentz had pocket escapability and he struggled with pocket management in 2016. Mechanical issues are still there. Pocket issues are still there. A- accuracy and athleticism also all still there. Eagles go up seven and nine or six and ten or whatever the heck it was. Wentz looks promising, but not you know not there yet. Year two comes, twenty seventeen. Wentz improves significantly from a mechanical perspective. Uh, Wentz is able to throw downfield with more consistency. Wentz is able to throw from uh, the the different release points, the different launch angles on the move. All of that seems to improve and become a bigger part of his game. He's fantastic at creating big plays outside of the pocket with his legs, and then the short game with with RPOs incredibly effective in 2017 can't state enough how well the eagles did most rpos in 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 the nfl in 2017 and most successful good uh wentz is injured eagles won the super bowl 2018 if you're looking purely at wentz's play it's something that we talked about on a podcast before the 2018 season what are you looking for from improvement for carson wentz and my number one thing was pocket management versus pocket escapability Mm -hmm. right and in 2017 like you said only two sacks inside of the pocket and I believe the number was 28 or something like that, 29 outside of the pocket, right? right? Huge skew. And, and, and this is not irregular for quarterbacks with movement ability. You see a similar sort of a thing in guys like a Russell Wilson, Russell Wilson and Deshaun Watson and whatnot. But it illustrated the fact that Carson, when he was experiencing pressure, was able to escape it, but he was frequently bailing the pocket. So there was very little... Uh, a process in 2017 of Carson Wentz making those small adjustments, still ready to throw down the field, just buying the extra half second to get the ball in time to his first second read, as opposed to breaking the, the, the pocket and really, you know, creating on the fly. To wit, I say, you know, think about Carson Wentz checking the ball down. When was the last time you saw it? Like, he's not a check down quarterback. You know what I mean? Like, if it's not there, one, two read, he's not going to get rid of the ball in the pocket to the check down and take what he's going to get. He wants to extend plays, yeah. right? This is how he is. This is all fine. There's nothing bad about this. It's just more pocket management makes it easier to, again, buy that extra half second to, to make a throw in rhythm and on time. In 2018, we see a significant increase in, in sacks inside the pocket. We also see an increase in uh, time to sack inside the pocket. We see an increase in time spent inside the pocket. We see an increase in time to throw inside the pocket. Carson is spending longer in the pocket in 2018. Subsequently, those times to X increase and also the number of sacks in the pocket increase. Why? Because pocket escapability predicated on Carson's athletic ability, predicated on his strength and his his explosiveness has decreased. This has decreased very likely as a result of the ACL injury and the subsequent back issues. This is what this is. This is this is the theory. And, you know, I cut up 2018 Carson's 2018 sacks versus 2017 sacks. And you can see, like, you know, pressure right up the A-gap. Carson's folding into that a lot more frequently, in my opinion. So because pocket escapability vanished a little bit, because it, 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 we lost it as our athletic ability was sapped due to injury, pocket management became a more valuable trait and it wasn't necessarily there. Pocket management is not the result of athletic ability. Pocket management, those small, slight adjustments, is a result of anticipation, experience, and a vestibular sense of what's going on around you. Drew Brees, Tom Brady, Matt Ryan. So, now in 2019, Carson has the athletic ability 100% returned. We should expect to see a return to 2017 
production in terms of very few sacks inside of the pocket, mm -hmm. much quicker times to throw and times to sack inside yeah. of the pocket. So when he's throwing, the ball's coming out quicker. And when he's getting sacked, it's happening much faster inside the pocket. It's an immediate pressure right away. And we should subsequently see an increase in throws outside of the pocket uh, as opposed to 2018 and a greater depth of target as illustrated in this piece because the more outside of the pocket you are, the more likely it is you're throwing down the field. Yeah. So we see a, a return to 2017 form. It's what we should expect. Fantastic news because there's an MVP caliber season. Again, there's nothing wrong with that at all. It's just worth noting that the reason we saw... What, what we, we know visibly that we saw a less athletic Carson Wentz in 2018. How did that manifest itself? More sacks inside the pocket, fewer escapes outside of the pocket, and less productivity when escaping outside of the pocket. So that, that change, just the ability to escape the pocket, should, you know, people talked about the fact that Carson wasn't throwing deep nearly as well last year. Well, he was throwing deep a lot more from the pocket yeah. in 2018 as opposed to 2017. He was outside of the pocket and he was making stuff up as he goes. Think about the Nelson Aguilar throw uh, against the Redskins in 2018. Fantastic play. Carson breaks the pocket on those plays. But then you think about deep throws like the Jacksonville interception to Jalen Ramsey. Carson's inside of the pocket yeah. working a seam route. There's a, a slight pressure from uh, from Calais Campbell against Isaac Samalu. Carson's off time with the throw. It's late and it's picked off. So this is where pocket management becomes a thing. So using those anecdotes as examples. That, that, you know, we talk about what's going to change for Carson Wentz. You know, okay, now they have a, the best deep threat in Deshaun Jackson. They had no deep threat in 2018. Yes, I agree with that. You know, and they've added J.J. Sickle Whiteside and Dallas Goddard. There's going to be more passes. And the running game is better. So the RPO passes should be more effective. Cool. All that's there for sure. I think the root of the passing issues was the running issues, was the ability to escape the pocket for Carson Wentz. That returns in 2019. I think he's going to bounce right back to where he was in 2017. Yeah, all great points, Ben, and I, I agree with a lot of that there. And I'll, and I'll follow up on one of the points you just made that we'll transition to after the break here with Deshaun Jackson adding that deep threat. You know, his big time throws within the pocket within that first two and a half seconds was cut in half from 2017 to 2018. Deshaun Jackson brings that element. We're going to talk more about him when we come back here on the Kiston Solak Show. We'll be right back. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. 
And we are back here on the Kist and Solak Show, episode 111, brought to you by SB Nation, Bleeding Green Nation, Michael Kist here with Benjamin Solak. We're talking about how good this Eagles offense can be in 2019. We've been focusing on quarterbacks, but we do want to talk about Deshaun Jackson and how he opens up this offense. And I already kind of alluded to it before the break, having the deep threat in Deshaun Jackson, Wentz having less big time throws down the field in 2018 percentage wise than he did in 2017. But it's also going to help in a couple ways. Not only is Deshaun going to help as a field stretcher, but that field stretching aspect also means that stuff underneath should start to loosen up a little bit. And Ben, as you pointed out in your article, and I'll let you explain that helps unlock the RPO game. What do you see in this offense as far as improving just schematically and things working more underneath? Right. So RPOs, you know, so, so this, this is a buzz phrase. It's, it's fully a buzz phrase. And, you know, if you ask, I think, a lot of NFL fans, like, hey, like, what should your offense do? Like, run RPOs. Like, why? Because they work. Okay, <laughs> what, what do they do? RPOs uh, isolate a conflict defender and make him wrong. A conflict defender has, and this is critical, People say, oh, he has run and pass responsibilities. Every defender on the field has run and pass responsibilities. All of them. They have to defend the run and the pass. It's how you defend the offense. A conflict defender's run and pass responsibilities pull him in opposite directions. They are pointing in different ways. Namely, let's take a, a linebacker, a nickelback. As a, as, a, as a field defender against the run, he needs to get upfield into the line of scrimmage quickly. Every second that he doesn't is room for an offensive lineman to come up and get him in the second level. And that's room for the running back to gain yardage. So he needs to come downfield into the line of scrimmage. However, if it's, we've got zone coverage, he's got to drop backfield upfield to gain depth against routes that are developing. And accordingly, run and pass pull him in two different ways. He's in conflict if he doesn't know what play design we're throwing. RPOs take this conflict defender, they show him a run key inside the pocket, so pulling guards, zone blocking, linemen coming off the line of scrimmage, backfield handoff action, while also running a route into what his zone likely is, into a hook curl zone, a curl zone, whatever. Accordingly, that linebacker now has to make a choice. I'm reading run action, I'm also aware that a route is developing near me. If I hang in my zone and play the pass... I'm late to fill against the run, and now, you know, the, the offense can be plus one in the box. They have, you know, a, a step ahead. If I go to fill down against the run, I'm vacating my zone. <clears throat> Excuse me. I'm vacating my zone, and now the pass can be completed behind me. This is how an RPO works. Accordingly, because we're looking for conflict defenders who are pulled forward by the run and backwards by the pass, RPOs very, very, very infrequently have a high depth of target. Very infrequently. I, I stress that because there are ideas like a second level RPO and a third level RPO. And these are some things that are done at the college level of West Virginia with Dana Holgerson, uh, Utah State with Matt Wells, now of Texas Tech, that's done well. RPOs that get into the second level and into the third level. But primarily, we're, we're dealing with a very shallow depth of target. So RPO passes pull an offense's target depth down. They pull it into the line of scrimmage. And we like deeper passes. They're more valuable than shorter passes. They're not completed as much, but when they're completed, they matter more. Yeah. Cool. So I described how an RPO works. Zone coverage is what it attacks the best. One of the solutions for a defense is to introduce man coverage. In man coverage, now, I have a, 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 a corner directly over this wide receiver. I have a linebacker directly over this tight end. He can read run stay keeping his feet still while still letting this the, the the route stem come to him he can play in press coverage and initially disrupt the release aware of where the receiver is via physical contact while still reading the backfield man coverage doesn't remove but it weakens it lessens the conflict that's felt by conflict defenders 
If you want to play man coverage against the Philadelphia Eagles, yeah, have fun. With Deshaun Jackson on the field, you need a corner who can run in the four fours and play tremendous football with his back to the ball. There's about seven of them in the league. You also want to have a safety over the top because let's be honest, he's going to lose more than he wins. It's Deshaun Jackson. Yep. So now you want to play half field split safeties. Well, now you're minus one in the box. You've yep. got two safeties deep. Now it's seven on seven in the box because the Eagles are in 12 personnel. They're going to be able to run the football on you. Also, if you're going to play man coverage, you need to be able to get a safety down on Zach Ertz. So now you want to go single high. So safety's in the box to cover Zach Ertz. That's also not going to go very well for you because Ertz is one of the best tight ends in the league. And they're going to have Dallas Goddard on the field. Goddard's one of the best, if not the best tight end two in the league. And accordingly, you've got to cover him with your second best tight end cover guy, who probably isn't very good because it's unlikely you have one good tight end cover guy to begin with. Also, Jackson isn't even the Eagles wide receiver one. That's Elshon Jeffrey. He's on the opposite side. He's 6'3", 220 pounds, and he's great in man-to-man contested catch situations. He has 79% uh, success rate against man in, in, in 2017, one of the best numbers in the league. Yeah. So, if you want to play man coverage, you better have the secondary of, like, the Tennessee Titans. Yeah. Otherwise... It's not going to go well for you. So that's that's why Jackson's presence, not only by in adding a greater depth of target, which will widen the field out, push safeties further down the field, necessitate half-field coverage, open up the RPO game by scheme, by design, but also... You, you you have to try to play some sort of advanced match coverage or just have tremendous man coverage talent because there's there, this is very difficult to play man-on-man man when the Eagles go into 12, and it's not impossible to play zone. I mean, zone coverage success rate against the Eagles since Peterson's got there is embarrassing. Yeah. So you can't do it, right? And so this is why... You know, the, the Eagles stepped away from the RPO game uh, in large part. Like, in 2018, they weren't nearly as uh, a big a part of the RPO game as, as they were in 2017. And a big part of it was because they, they the, 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 the field completely shrunk. They had very little ability to target deep. Alshon Jeffrey, 13.4 ADOT in 2017, 10.4 ADOT in 2018. The, the field shrunk, and they had to execute all these short, quick games. They, if they want to return to running a lot of RPOs, they need to couple that with the deep shots to keep the field extended, keep the field stretched. So the other way that the Eagles can dictate to you what kind of coverage you're going to run to get that zone coverage that you're talking about that the Eagles love attacking. When the Eagles go two tight end sets, and let, let's talk about a specific way they can do this. If they go, we're going to call this like double on the ball. This is when both tight ends are attached to the line. It's more of a matter of alignment, personnel and when you have those two tight ends set up like that, attached to the line, you are giving off a run vibe. Not only that, you've got eight potential run gaps. You've also got four potential vertical threats. So when you're using those condensed formations, you have those that YY wing, right? You've got the Ertz and Goddard right next to each other on the line. And then you bring in, you know, Deshaun or Alshon or whoever condensed in the formation. It's much easier to get zone coverage that way. Defenses are apt to check into zone because of that man coverage conflict. If you're a man defender and you're against condensed formations, it is very easy for you to get picked, rubbed, all of those things. Defenses want to be able to give their linebackers a zone step read for the run and then let them get back into their zones if it is in fact play action. So it's easier to threaten those box defenders too vertically, especially when utilizing play action from those formations. If the defense responds by stacking the box with eight or nine, it leaves them particularly vulnerable 
to the RPO. So that's another way that the Eagles can not only dictate coverage, but also dictate what they want to run and get that RPO game going. So I think there's so many different ways that the Eagles can beat you. And I really think the thing that I'm most excited for, and this is what I talked about with Derek Klassen when we went over the Football Outsiders Almanac chapter on the Eagles, they have such a potential for versatility and creativity. And I think you mm-hmm. really are going to be able to see that this year, Ben. Right. And, and it circles back to a generally fascinating topic of just football philosophy, which is that typically the, the interplay between offense and defense is offense dictates and defense responds, right? It's this is what we do from an offensive scheme perspective, and this is what we as a defense are going to try to do to stop that. Now, that's not to say defenses don't dictate anything, and, and, and all the defensive-minded people listening to this podcast don't get upset with me. You know, like the, 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 the adage of, like, we want to make the, the, our opponent throw deep and outside the numbers, those are the lowest percentage throws, like at the high school and college level. Like, that's, that's, that's a dictating move for sure. But generally, you have to respond to personnel and to formations, and if they do X, we're going to do Y, because the offenses, they line up how they line up, right? The, 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 the New England Patriots under Bill Belichick are not a dictating offense. They are a responsive offense. They take what you are bad at defensively and they respond to it by making that their offensive scheme for that week. It is the result of unbelievable film, preparation, and understanding. You know, and I should also, I should mention, analytics. It's an unbelievable blend of those things, such to the point where the, the Patriots are able to say, okay, this is you do X and Y really well, and as a defense, you stop Z. So we're going to do Q and P, P, you know what I mean? Like There's 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 such a great melange of what they can do, right? There's so many different things they're successful at. Now, the Eagles are not going to become that, I don't think. But it's very worth noting that from a personnel perspective... And from an analytics perspective, this team could probably be offensively as responsive as the Patriots. Yeah. They have the offensive line okay. to block any scheme. They have a running back stable that can catch and they can run. They have they can be four deep at wide receiver, they can be three deep at tight end. Yeah. In terms of what they want to get on the field. They have Carson Wentz who's top seven quarterback in the league. Okay. Analytics wise, this is the most active, fruitful uh, analytics department that there is. Okay. The other thing that I said was film. And film is a result of the work of coaches and their understanding throughout the week. I think we all agree Doug Peterson's great at this. I think we all agree Jim Schwartz is great at this. But they do not have all 24 hours of the day. They have family. They have lives. They need to sleep. You need to have an active and successful, intelligent, promising staff. You could argue the Eagles had it in 2017, especially from the offensive perspective. In 2018, we don't know. Yeah. And we knew Mike Rowe and Press Taylor both received criticism at different points for different things. Yeah. So, I, I, again, I don't think the Eagles are going to become a responsive team like the Patriots. I think that's what makes the Patriots unique. That's what makes them an aberration. And that's why they have, you know, six Super Bowl wins in the past <laughs> 20 years, whatever the heck it is. But it's the question of, you know, I think Philadelphia has the ability to come out one week, have the majority of their snaps in 12 personnel. And this was this was something, you know, to bring up 12 personnel. They play the Cowboys. They throw the ball 35 times out of 12 personnel. Now that game goes into overtime. You know, the Cowboys win it on a Rasul Douglas pass breakup that bounces into Amari Cooper's hands. But the Eagles had a very successful offense for that second half. And it was all because of passing out of 12 personnel. The very next week, they go to play against the Los Angeles Rams. 12 personnel, all they do is run the football. Because the, the Rams played their 12 personnel differently. And the Eagles responded to that change. So there is responsiveness when you have such a deep offense. So the Eagles, I think, will have the ability... Then I don't think we'll, we'll look at the Eagles' offense as being very successful and treat it like we do the McVay offense. Well, what are they doing? 
They're running jet sweeps. They're in 11 personnel. It's condensed formation. Play action from under center. This is the formula. And the Eagles is going to be a muddied formula because I think they're going to have the ability to an extent to look different week in and week out and respond to defense's weaknesses. So that responsiveness of the offense, typically a unit that dictates, as I said at the top, fascinating to think about what that potentially means. Great conversation on the Eagles offense right there, Ben. I think so anyway. I'm biased, of course. It's coming from a biased Yeah, basically the conversation was you asking me about the piece and then me talking about the piece. Which is, hey, I mean, that's that's how it works. You tweet it out to promote the article. You put the article out and then you pot about the article and then you do another article about the pot about the article. This is how we (laughs) double dip on content, team. That's what you got to do. This time of year, this time of preseason, man, it it has to happen. But we do have a preseason game coming up. So, Ben, I mean, any any thoughts on what you want to see from this preseason game or – uh, anything that you're especially going to have an eye on when it comes to some of the battles they're in. Yeah, so we gotta we gotta figure out what the heck's going on at linebacker. Um yeah, because true. it's beginning to increasingly look like Nate and Gary can make this team, in which case I'll be an upset camper. Um I mean I don't really congrats to Nate Gary. You get paid for the year, that's awesome. But I just would like for them to have better players. Did Jeremy and BLG talking about that? What'd you say? BLG was saying that Nate Gary's gonna make this roster and I was I was it's an audio form, but I was visibly upset. Well, that's the thing. Is now Paul Warlow's gone and Camus is injured. He should. Yeah. Unless you really uh, think TJ Bra- uh, Edwards, Asante Brown, or Alex Singleton is better, which they're probably not. Yeah, Alex Singleton has so, a big hive on Eagles Twitter right now, but I don't think I don't think he makes the roster. Yeah, well, that's that's what happens when you're playing in the fourth quarter and you got a good PFF grade. That's how that goes. <laughs> Welcome to the preseason. Always exactly. a good player in the fourth quarter, dude. Hey, speak, speaking of PFF grade, Andre Dillard is the number one graded offensive tackle. Yeah, glad to hear it. Does it matter to me a lot? Absolutely not. Just go beat up on second teamers when the ball's coming out in two seconds. Getting sick. I love it. Does it matter that Titus Howard is the 90th? I mean, like, you know, he... Yeah, well, that's the thing. It's like I watched, you know, I watched film on him, and I really liked the film, and so I'm glad the PFF grade is good. If it were bad, I would my opinion of him would be unchanged. You know what I mean? Like he's out and against second teamers, and I think he looks great. He looks exactly as I expected him to. Yeah. It's a big win. My things that I'm concerned about, my things that I'm interested in are right figuring out the linebacker situation. You imagine Nigel Brown and Nigel Brown and Zach Brown are probably your starters with LJ four as three, and then Gary as four coming into the season. Camus, you know, being rostered, being on IR, whatever it is that he needs to be. Okay. Uh, other thing I'm interested in is Richard Rogers continues to be uh, unhealthy. Josh Perkins, tight end three. Perkins is has consistently looked better and better with each season that he has been here. Uh, and I think that he's a strong tight end three. And tight end three matters for the Eagles because we really view the Eagles as having two starters at tight end. So that's your primary backup. That's the thing that matters. So looking to see more good stuff out of Josh Perkins. I think Will Ty is tight end four in the event that Rodgers is either cut or he's not able to go early in the season, whatever. And then the continuing uh, Deshaun Hall, Josh Sweat, Sharif Miller battle will be interesting. The Ravens have a good offensive line. They got Ronnie Stanley, good tackle. I don't know how much he's going to play. Obviously, it's a third preseason game, and so you probably will have the starters out there for a fair bit. I'd like to see Sweat and, and Deshaun Hall go up against some starting offensive tackles and really get a feel for what they look like. We obviously got Sweat against Lewan for a fair bit of the Tennessee game. I'd like to see a little more of Hall against some starting caliber offensive tackles as well. That'll be big for him. And on BGN Radio, the upcoming BGN Radio with Brandon Lee Gowton and John Stillness, they will be previewing that more in full. They're also going to be talking about day two of the joint practices that happened the other day between the Eagles and the Ravens. So look forward to that as we continue our preseason coverage of the Philadelphia Eagles. Ben, would you say goodbye to the gentle listeners? Hi.
Thanks for listening to the show. Appreciate you swinging by. Appreciate you being friends, talking about things, being being pals, listening, talking about the Eagles. And it's August, and it's time for the season. By the way, I don't know if I'm allowed to talk about this or not. The number one episode on BGN Radio for the month of August right now. Can I say it? Yeah. Is the Josh McCown BLG solo pod, which is By just far. tremendous. <laughs> it's that so close. So many people wanted to just hear BLG talk about literally Joshua McCown. <laughs> I I we have such great admiration and respect for you. The the fervent passion with which you listen to this podcast network such that you would make the McCown podcast so valuable but we really need to beat that by august god willing 53 men <laughs> roster hopefully we'll be able to to knock that out yeah because if we end august with McCown as the number one podcast i'm gonna cry <laughs> thank you uh so for listening to the show i am ben at benjamin swag he is mike i'm at nfl kst solk review the podcast say nice things about us on the internet we are friends we all we got We all we need, fly, Eagles, fly.